So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle Earth. (laughs) If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... (laughs) Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. (laughs) We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Okay, here we are. Hello, everyone. It's time for the fifth battle. This is how I'm starting the episode. Woo! (laughs) You sounded really excited there. The Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Yep. Yes, it's it's called Nernaeth Arnodiad. Unnumbered, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Super cheerful. I like Unnumbered Tears better because I can pronounce it. Yes, but just then if you know, if it see, if you see that called this lengthy thing somewhere. Battle number five. Straight. Yep, battle number five. Everyone dies. Spoilers. And like, if they didn't die, things didn't turn out well for them. Yeah. See, you're just ruining my short summary now. That is, we pretty That's much true. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just, I think it's hilarious that the people who lived, like, I think death was just ruined it. Why am I even here? For your brilliant insights and your timely sarcasm. This was Thanks. our gentle way Thanks. of telling you we don't want you here anymore. Oh my god, Rachel! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the worst. <laughs> there's the name of the episode rachel is the worst (laughs) you know yeah on a scale of one to morgoth i'm a rachel (laughs) okay you've already volunteered to do characters have a good time i did volunteer to do characters so what a fool i yes i i suffered for it i decided to pretend to be useful and i hate everything um so in this battle, there are kind of three main camps. And so the first one is led by our boy Madros, who is the son of Feanor and like sort of a decent fellow. And then there's another one that's um, led by Fingon, who is Madros's boyfriend and mm-hmm. a son of Fingolfin. And then there's another one, which is the surprise army led by Turgon, who is Fingon's brother, and he lives in the super-secret hideaway of Gondolin. Hence, being a surprise. So, Madros gathers up a whole bunch of people, because he's like, yeah, let's, you know, if if, um, Baron and Luthien could do it, let's go attack uh, Morgoth. Yeah, you know. So, he ends up getting all his brothers to come with, all the sons of Feanor, he also brings with a bunch of Nalgrim, which are the dwarves. He also then brings um, the people who are newer, the men, humans, who are newer to Beleriand, who are called the Easterlings. So they are the men of Boar and the men of Ulfang. And these are the ones you really need to remember because they are led by a dude who's named Aldor the Accursed, and he betrays Madras and leads to everyone dying. So basically, they're the worst. Um, but because Fingon is Madras's bro, buddy, boyfriend, um, 
He does agree. I was just going to interrupt about bro there, but my mic was muted. So carry on. (laughs) Um, anyway, (laughs) um, Fingon does agree to join in this battle and he brings with pretty much all the rest of the humans who were the Adine. So, um, I have a ton of notes here, like people from Hithlum, the men of Hador, (laughs) the people of Haleth, a whole bunch of humans. But um, the key two are Hurin and Hur, who are super badass, had fought previously, um, marry important woman, and got rescued and taken to Gondolin that one time. Um, They're going to matter in this chapter, so... That's all we have to care about. <laughs> and then along with Fingon is a guy named, an elf guy named Gwyndor. Um, and so he's pretty much the only person who comes from Nargothrond, which is the glittering secret city. Um, <laughs> the secret place, not the secret The secret place, secret not the place. secret secret place. <laughs> if you recall our thus titled episode, however many chapters ago it was. But yeah, so he's pretty much the only elf dude who comes from Nargothrond um, because his brother Gelmir had been captured by Morgoth um, in one of the previous battles, whatever one. Um, So basically we should note, most of the elves who aren't Noldor don't really want to join Maedros because he's the son of Feanor and has made horrible life decisions. So the surprise battle, Turgon... um, Remember, he comes, he also brings with Maeglin, who is his sort of nephew, son of his sister, uh, douche bro. He kind of just gets mentioned, but I think he's going to come back, right, Caitlin? Yeah. 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 He's kind of, his, his sentence is kind of like the doom of the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so you know? remember him. Yay. Um. So all these guys are, of course, fighting against Morgoth, our big bad dude. Uh, he has armies of orcs and wolves and belrogs, led by Gothmog, and dragons, led by, of course, Glaurung. Of course. And we're going to just go to some tangential characters who aren't partaking in the battle, but have to do with its um, before and after it. Uh, Thingle and Melian. <laughs> Sorry, I just noticed your note that just says good for them. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Uh, for Baron and Luthien there. Sorry. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, yes. So we'll go for Baron and Luthien are currently living out the rest of their lives happily on an island. Good for them. <laughs> All this doom goes by, but it's mentioned that they're often happy. Um, unfortunately, the Luthien's parents, Thingol and Melian, are not so happy because, you know, Luthien is living as immortal and going to die and never see them again. Um but they're tucked away in Doriath behind the uh, girdle of Melian. And it's important to note that Thingol now has the Silmarill that Baron had gotten. So basically everyone wants it from him. And um, he still doesn't listen to Melian when she gives good advice. And <laughs> last character is Círdan, who is the guy who's been running um, the little... Haven of Elves by the uh, the sea, the havens. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I note him as the ship dude all the time. Um, that's pretty much all he is. 
that's he's the ship dude and that's the character not a bad thing to be known for something and that's the characters do we still want to do the short summary even though you already did it you may as well because there's more in there a little bit so this chapter doesn't really do concise well um so everybody dies basically um Everybody you have become invested in totally bites it. And the ones who don't die um, actually are worse off than the characters that do. But we'll get into that when Caitlin goes through the story point by point. Maedros organizes this huge battle against Morgoth, um, and it goes really badly, mostly because he's a shitty politician, but also because Karufin and Selagorm have burned all of the bridges by requiring the Silmarils and being total douchebags. Um, Fucking Turgon, up Baron and Luthien. Yeah. <laughs> Turgon still has the Silmaril that he got from Baron. Um, Thingol. Thingol. From Thingol. God, what is with all of the T names? Every <laughs> generation. Like every week it's a different letter. You know, like the F names messes up one week. The C names messes up another week. It's it's true. It's like a, the worst episode of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Or the best episode of so, Sesame Street. <laughs> or the best. Um, so basically, Maedros is trying to get everybody together, um, and he sends a bunch of letters, and they send ships to the Valar to request aid, but his letters come across incredibly demanding um, and very haughty, and a bunch of people are like, well, maybe if you weren't the son of Feanor, we would help you, when in reality, they probably wouldn't help all that much. So he gets much less support than he would have gotten perhaps if he'd been anybody else. And that's a short summary of the chapter. As a Majors fangirl, I just wanted to say it is never specifically said that it's Majors who is sending these arrogant letters. It's just said that the sons of Feanor. And I choose to believe that he improperly delegates this job to some brothers who are not as good as him. Or, or the brothers just do it themselves because they suck. Yeah. But yeah, and this is where we should note that when, you know, a lot of the people who join the fight independently, such as like Gwyndor, who brings some people with him, um, they all end up joining. They want to help, but they join Fingon because they don't want to associate with the Sons of Feanor, which understandable. They've, uh, they've burned some bridges. Yeah. All right, so to restart at the beginning here, the chapter starts off with the epilogue, basically, to Baron and Luthien. And we find out that Luthien goes back into Menagroth one last time to heal its melancholy. I guess everybody thought she was dead, so they were all sad. But she goes in, says goodbye, um, and leaves. Melian is, of course, super sad, and I think it said like she couldn't even look at Luthien because not only yeah, is Luthien which- going to... D- we're talking about the woman who literally slept herself to death, basically, and then came back. But sure, my daughter still being alive makes me really sad. I was bitter at this part. I I understand what you're saying, but because Meli- uh, no, Luthien is now human, and Melian is a demigod, basically, uh... Luthien is now going to have the death of the humans, which means after she dies, Melian is never going to see her again. Which, if she'd been an elf, she would have seen her in the Halls of Mandos. 
So I think she's just really, really upset about this eternity without her daughter. It's actually noted that Melian does look in Luthien's eyes, but like reads that that's what's going to happen and then has to look away because she knows. Which it's interesting to note that, you know, as a, as a Maya, she's lumped in with the elves as opposed to men and doesn't have some other fate. Well, it is interesting. She, it's just, yeah. to me, why would you then limit the already small time you have? People deal with grief in different ways. Yeah. Also, I think it's less her wasting the time and more Baron and Luthien wanting to get out of this clusterfuck. Oh, yeah, that too. But I, I mean, I, I read it like... The chapters, okay, so then Luthien, Luthien, blah, 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 blah. Luthien and Baron, uh, you know, leave Metagroth and Doriath and go live on an island in a river where they have a son. And it is specifically said that no mortal men ever speaks with them again, but I I think, like, Thingol and Melian maybe come to visit. Because they must, because Dior, their son, is is listed as Thingol's heir. So it's not like they they necessarily never see them again. I never thought about it. You're right, they must, but I don't how know. odd that it's not mentioned here. Well, anyway, clearly we just wish we could keep talking about Baron and Luthien and not this. And yeah, this, this is literally death. like a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they go away. They have a son named Dior. They leave the Silmaril in Doriath with Thingol, which seems dumb, but I guess they didn't really want but i like if they'd kept it they would have gotten mixed up and everything so they left it in doria so Madros then hears how a Silmaril has been recovered and thinks this will be or is inspired by this to start up a huge host a big i can't think of the word a coming together an alliance sure there you go the you, union of Madros. the union of Madros, yes is what it comes to be called which I thought was hilarious as the way that they got the Silmaril was sneaking into Angband and then dying. And Majros is like, all right, big battle. Let's get the Silmarils. Like, <laughs> you've tried this literally four times before. This is Never the fifth battle. <laughs> I don't know. They're not so good at planning. Yeah. Okay, and now... I guess Rachel briefly went over this. I'm just going to go into a little bit more detail of where everybody ends up in this big battle. Because this is actually mostly what this chapter was. Um, so Fingen and his elves and humans who live in Hithlum, they sort of take point in the alliance, I guess. Um, because obviously Majros is Fingen's true love. And he would... He would always join with him in battles such as this. And him and Majros come up with this plan, but we'll get into the plan later. That has them fighting in two separate groups. Okay, so from Nargothrond, uh, where Oradreth is in charge. Of course, from the last chapter, when Kurufin and Kelgorm tried to take over Nargothrond, he hates them. So he's just like, no, you guys are on your own. Have a good time. I would like to remind everyone that all these people are family. So it's like <laughs> super complicated too. Um, but one of the elves in Nargothrond, Gwyndor, takes a small host from Nargothrond because his brother was 
captured in the fourth battle, Bragalaka. Well, I have that written somewhere. Whatever it's called, the fourth battle. Um, so he wants to go and get some revenge, but he again he does not pledge himself to Majros or. I mean, it's all the one union, but he he marches under Fingon and not Majros. From Doriath, uh, Thingol and the sons of Mary, Fe- Feanor are in a pissing match currently over the Silmaril. So <laughs> Doriath, Thingol sends literally nobody. Two elves do go uh, just because they want to partake in the glory. I have not written down which ones. Which was a mistake. They don't matter much. They don't. They don't. I like. I, I, I have this. no memory of who it even was. I think it was like half mentioned once, and then I'm sure they die along with everyone else. It's oh, yeah. Mablong and Belag. Mablong and Belag. I don't know who they are. Me neither. Probably not cool. important. Moving on. <laughs> and I did put a small note in here because I just sort of thought. In all of his books, Tolkien writes about the glory of battle and heroic deeds and all that sort of thing a lot, which I think is interesting for a World War I uh, vet. Because I don't think there was much glory in World no. War I. No. no. And, and it's noted, especially that this one is, this this battle is inspired by the Battle of the Sum. Yeah. Which, for those of you who don't know, didn't go well for anyone involved. No. No, it did not. I mean, to be fair, that's World War One in a nutshell. <laughs> it's true, but this is the one that really, like, this is the one battle this is where the one. basically, like, Ed, the, Ed, the lost generation is because of this battle. Yeah. You know, the UK lost 420,000 people. Yeah, crazy. So, uh, Gondolin, um, as far as we know at this point, a message is sent to them about joining, but Turgon does not reply. And then, now Grim, the dwarves come and help their friends, and they march under Maedros because they haven't gotten involved in the family drama. And then a bunch of humans. So there's the three houses of the Edain, although I guess the house of Beor is all but dead other than Baron and Luthien. Well, not Luthien, well, whatever. So Beor, the house of Beor doesn't partake because they're on an island. Um, but the house of Hador and the people of Haleth are in and they are marching under Fingen. And then the Easterlings, who are, as mentioned before, the not-so-great humans, they march under Majros, which doesn't turn out well. So they start the kind of battle by taking back a lot of the land that they lost in, oh, here it is, Dagor Bragolok. Even reading it, I'm still not sure what I'm saying. So that's great. The fourth battle. Yeah. They are mildly successful, but um, during all this, the spies of Morgoth, um, namely the the Easterlings, the uh, all things folk, um, yes, sort of the other ones were perfectly fine, and all they get for it is dead. Yeah, um, use this opportunity to get information on Majros and Fingon's plans to Morgoth, and those plans are that. Um, Fingen is going to sort of hide his army in the west, and Majros is going to march openly with banners flying across and Fowglith, which is the the deserty, all burned to dust field or whatever in front of Angband. 
and draw Morgoth's armies to them, and then Fingon's gonna surprise them all from the west. But of course, uh, Morgoth knows this. Due to uh, Uldor, is what I've written here? Yeah, I don't, Uldor. Okay, I don't remember people's names, but... Yous are evil in this chapter. Yous are evil, okay. So, meanwhile, Fingon is just sitting with his army for like five days, waiting, and is getting a little nervous. And Turgon shows up, Surprising everyone with a force of, like, 10,000, which is great, and everybody is super inspired. But, um, again, Madras hasn't shown up, so the plan hasn't started yet. So Hiran is just like, let's just stay, we don't know what's going on, let's just wait. And they listen to Hiran, which is really nice. And they do just wait. But, um, Morgoth doesn't like that, so he sends out a bunch of orcs. And some of them ride right up to Fingon's army and sort of yell insults at them. And when that doesn't work, because sometimes these elves are not 12-year-old boys. Very, very occasionally. Very, very occasionally. They bring out Gwyndor's brother and cut off his hands and his feet and then his head and then leave his body mm. on the ground. This was so bad. I mean, I think that guy's probably, like, super happy at this point. To, oh, because I mean, they yeah, had previously no. blinded him, so... But still, that was rough. Yeah, he's just, he's been tortured and blinded and held for however many years, and at least, like, death is probably better. Well, understandably, Gwyndor was very upset, and he takes his company and he charges on Ingband, and Fingon's forces don't abandon him, so they go along also. And I believe Turgon's forces do as well. Yes, Turgon shows up heroically. Yes. So they all go, and they fight very valiantly and get at, to, through the gates of Angband and kill a lot and basically banging on Morgoth's door. And Morgoth is afraid but then he's like ha 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 here's a whole bunch more of orcs and is this when he releases everybody else i think it's like a second later yeah i think he first overwhelms them with orcs yeah, he... and then eventually lets out all the big bads yeah so all the orcs and i think once uh majros finally does show up because they suss out the that oldor betrayed them and was delaying them and then they kill him and then they march and once they show up, then uh, Morgoth is like, well, fuck this. Here's some Balrogs. Here's my dragons. Here's my wolves. Here's everything. No Sauron, though, in this chapter. I love your note here. That he's he's definitely grounded for getting beaten by a girl. Yeah. I just, I have this picture of, like, emo Sauron in his room sulking because he can't go out and participate in the battle. <laughs> And, um, I'm actually gonna switch to somebody else's notes here, which I will, I will link to where I got them from in our show notes, mostly because I had trouble keeping track of what was going on, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So, in the big battle that On and Falglith, um, just to backtrack a little bit, when Turgon showed up, he was reunited with his brother, Fingon, who he hadn't seen in a while because he was in his secret, secret place. And also Huron, who had, of course, been in Gondolin for 
we were unsure a yearish or so. So they were reunited and were happy to fight together. And um, so they're fighting. I guess that's not important. Some people die. And then Morgoth releases everybody. And Glaurung takes to the field and ends up separating Majors and Fingon's forces. And the uh, Easterlings at this point fled and start attacking Ulfang's son. Nope. And start attacking uh, Fan- the sons of Feanor. So that's great. And this is where they kill Uldor. Right, yes. Okay, this is why I'm using somebody else's notes, because I kept getting confused. So Meglor kills Uldor, who was the man who betrayed them. And the sons of Bor, who were the Easterlings who stayed true, fight the other you people. And basically, they all just sort of kill each other. <laughs> basically, yes. Though, so, um, because some of the you people are, like, attacking from behind Maedros's, uh company, and then they're being... Like attacked by orcs and balrogs and a dragon over here. They're just Madras's company is being attacked on all sides, and bad things happen. Uh, some of them break through and escape away to the east. The dwarves stay and fight, or a good bunch of the dwarves stay and fight and have a big epic moment. Uh, basically, they fight against Glaurung, and oh yeah, yeah, one of them like jumps up to Glaurung and stabs him. Just before Glaurung kills him, and that it was, was like he was the leader. Yeah, yeah, the leader of the dwarves, as Azagal, Lord of Belagost. Yeah, and he was real cool, and he had a good, good heroic time. And the dwarves make many songs of him. Okay, so back to the west with Fingon and Turgon. Uh, that's where Gothmog, the Lord of the Balrogs, is, which must suck. And they're all. <laughs> They're uh, all surrounded, and Fingon and Gothmog have an epic fight, and Gothmog kills Fingon, and we don't like it. It's very sad. Majros is very sad. I feel like we need to edit in like a a bell tolling for each death here. Right? Um. So Huron and his brother Huor are still in the battle, and they continue to stand with Turgon. And I believe they tell Turgon to make a run for it, because, again, Gondolin is the secret secret place, and they're like, obviously we need a secret secret place. So you go, we'll stay and fight. It's very dramatic. I love this section. Oh, so Huron has, like, a farewell line to uh, Turgon. Yeah. Which, do you, if, as you said you liked it, do you want to read it? Hur spoke and said, Yet if it stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come the hope of elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look upon your white walls again. From you and from me a new star shall arise. Farewell. And Meglin, Turgon's sister's son, who stood by, heard these words and did not forget them, but he said nothing. And that's Meglin's one sentence of doom. (laughs) And yeah, that's, that obviously. It is also noted that like this one gesture, like basically is all that saves humans in general from being hated forevermore. It does mention that the elves are basically done with humans other than the Adain after this. Mm -hmm. They're like, nope, you're all assholes. We only like these. Well, now two houses. 
Yep. They but weren't it's like wrong. They, they redeemed the evils of the you people or something like that. There you go. Thus was yeah, the no, treachery of Aldor redressed. So Turgon takes Hewer's advice and GTFOs, taking um, what's left of Fingon's troops also. And this is where we're, we first mention um, elf captains named Ekthelion and Glorfindel. And they will Great names. come back. Great names. Glorfindel. Now, I like Ekthelion, but Glorfindel is one of the more ridiculous ones. I mean, <laughs> great, ridiculous, really synonyms when it comes to Tolkien. Much more to say about Glorfindel later. Spader. I love Hurin's death. Um, because the way they described it, he like throws aside his shield so that he can swing his axe yeah. two-handed and he swings it so hard and so fast that it basically is like smoking on contact, um, from whatever blood it touches. I can't remember, but something poisonous probably. But then the orcs start grabbing him and he cuts off their arms and there's like the hands don't unlatch from him. So he just keeps cutting off and he's got all of these hands hanging from him. So gross. There's this one section with a dangling modifier. Um, so when he dies, you don't know, or not dies, when he gets uh, defeated before he's dragged off. I Like the first time I read it, I thought, I thought it sounded like he ended up buried underneath like a mound of dismembered hands. Where is the sentence? Oh, here. The orcs grappled him with their hands, which clung to him still, though he hewed off their arms. And ever their numbers were renewed, until at last he fell buried beneath them. <laughs> it, like, I read it twice because I was like, no, he didn't die. Like, he didn't, not die, get drowned, basically, underneath dismembered hands. Like, it must have been that they tackled him or something, but still. That image, man. Yeah. So it's gross. Uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little gross. Sorry, uh, Hewer dies, right? Yes. No, poison Hero arrow in the eye. Off. No, sorry, Hewer. Hewer. The brother. He dies. Hewer yep. gets a poison arrow in the eye. Yeah. Hurin gets drowned in arms and then dragged off. Yeah. <laughs> and Hewer. Poison arrow in the face. Hewer is the one who had the doom goodbye. Yes. To the dramatic okay. line. It's sad. Missing the flair for drama. Which obviously is important and does come back up. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Turgon does make it safely home. Uh, Hurin and Hur have epic ends of the battle. Yeah, Hurin, Hurin's tale is like real dramatic. Yeah, we'll get there. I don't know if that's... Okay, I wasn't sure if that was later in these notes. Oh, it is. Okay. And then that is pretty much the end of the battle. Um... The sons of Feanor ran away off east, and Turgon ran away back to Gondolin. Gondolin, thank you, Rachel. And Fingon died. <sighs> Poor one out. And his his realm in Hith Hithlum, Hithleth, Himleth. Oh my God, I cannot Hithlum. remember anything anymore. Uh, was completely destroyed. So surprise, surprise. That sucks. He he didn't make it secret enough. Yep. And so the people of Haleth um, can you continue to live in their woods, which are close to Doriath. So uh, I guess that works in their favor. Um, the Easterlings that had betrayed the elves 
and were hoping to be rewarded lands in Beleriand from Morgoth. Didn't really get that. He just told them to go and live somewhere. Or he told... Where was it? I did not write this down. I know he did right, give right them... Right down here. Plunder and harass the old women. Oh, right, right. He sort of keeps Pl- them going. He, he sent them to the deserted land of Hithlum to go plunder and harass the old and the women and the children. Yeah, that's fun. Um, but but yeah, they didn't get what they wanted, which I think it's interesting that even people who lived on the winning side didn't get what they wanted. I mean, I think like the Balrogs are pretty happy. I don't know. I wonder what emotions. It's just the humans. <laughs> yeah. The orcs and the wolves sort of just live out in Middle-earth now. They don't stay in Angband or locked up in Angband anymore. They, This has been like a big crushing defeat. And they spread out. So Doriath is still safe. Although, again, Thingol is sitting in there with a Silmaril. Kind of in a similar to, to Morgoth. All locked up with his Silmaril. More on that yeah. later. It had a very One Ring vibe. Yeah. Um, Nargothrond is still secret in location. But Morgoth knows about both of those. And he does now know about... Like, he knows that Turgon is somewhere with a great kingdom because he showed up with 10,000 people. But yep. he does not know very where, jealous. where Gondolin is. Um, so then there's obviously a whole bunch of refugees from this battle who no longer have homes. So they go and make for the havens where Círdan is and set up a kind of haven <laughs> there. I was trying to think of a different word. Um, That's what I accidentally talked myself into in the intros. <laughs> we overuse that word. We do. But what else is apt? Yeah. Um, and Círdan and Gil-galad, who is the son of Fingon, so, um, welcome them and, you know, try their best to uh, keep everybody safe. Do they? And they use their ships to kind of do guerrilla warfare, let's say, on the orcs. Like, they'll go down the river, jump off their ship, kill a bunch of orcs, and jump back in their ship and get out. Um, and Helps that orcs are terrified of water. Yeah. When Turgon hears about Círdan uh, and his boats, Círdan, Círdan, whatever, he requests that Círdan build seven ships for him to be sailed west. Only one of those ships survives? No. Only one from the ships gets back. Everybody else dies. And that's Voronwey? And he only survives because Ulmo saves him and makes him wash ashore on an island. And this is just important because it continues this theme of them trying to reach Valinor and ask for help, especially now that their forces have been so decimated and that Valinor is remaining locked to them. Um, So as mentioned before, Huron was captured by Morgoth and... Huron saw that he was friends with Turgon in the battle, so wanting information about Gondolin tortures him a bit. Huron remains faithful and does not betray anything about Gondolin, and Morgoth curses him, his wife and his children, and then forces him to sit on this high throne in Thangorodrim and gives him magic eyesight so that he can see all across Middle-earth and will be forced to watch this curse play out on his children's lives which is pretty much what the next chapter is about. It's also, as we've noted, different, you know, characters and their ability to doom people. 
um, this is a pretty good doom. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, next chapter is going to be a little, uh, bit of a downer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a trend we're on. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's literally about how this curse plays out on the children of Huron, which is one of, like, one of the more recent books that has been published, The Children of Huron. So that speaks to the length of the next chapter. <laughs> so if you're not oh depressed God. enough uh, by our next episode, you can buy a whole book and have it. From from what I recall longer. from the next chapter, it's one of those things where, like, you know, like, you can see all the bad things that are happening, but the characters don't necessarily. And so you're just, like, screaming at them, like, make different choices. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, this was also That's the scene be a long chapter. where when he's like yelling at at um Kieran. Oh, I'm gonna look it up because I liked it here. One second, I'm gonna. Look it up. <laughs> so Morgoth says, "Thou hast dared to mock me and to question the power of Melkor, master of the fates of Arda." And I like I I find it interesting that he calls himself Melkor, mostly because it makes me question whether or not he knows people call him Morgoth. It, it it was Feanor who coined the name, right? Right, yeah. Like, but like after the Silmarils yeah. were stolen and he killed his father and all that sort of thing. So I may not. I'm just and would curious. would the people bother like his spies bother to tell him? Well, I pictured this as sort of like um, like like stormtroopers reporting to to Darth Vader. <laughs> like the the least you tell them, the higher chances of you that you have of living. It is true. Don't get yourself choked out. Yeah, exactly. Really not an effective way to run an army. I'm very curious. Yeah. It is funny, though, the contrast, if we're talking about this, people not reporting properly back to Morgoth, whereas um, what Baron got caught for not reporting in to Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, it's dead. true. There's a dichotomy there. It's it's all, that's it. Nothing gets done if you don't have middle management. <laughs> Who is, who is now grounded? Who's now grounded? That was one of my notations in this chapter was that Madros invented bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, and was poor at it. Yep, really bad. Yep. Um, I did want to know, like, this is the first chapter in a while that we've heard Elvish spoken, which was... Yeah, I glossed of... right over that. I always try to read it because I like Elvish. I didn't do too well. With these particular Given words. the trouble I have with the names, <laughs> I can't, I mean, working my way through a sentence is oh, not yeah, I'm not something gonna read I it. could ever see myself being successful at. Yeah, I'm not going to read it out loud, out loud in order to invite mocking, but I enjoy they it. They were some pretty epic lines, though. Yeah. yeah. Right? Huron crying, day shall come again each time. 70 times he chopped off limbs. <laughs> Maybe those, like, he dreams about those 70 limbs while stuck on that throne. You know, like, he has, mm -hmm. he remembers his glorious battle, and mm -hmm. it keeps him sane, maybe. That's actually Fingon's line is also about, you know, the day has come, and that the night is passing. It's, it's, I'm just thinking, all I can think is that it's very Les Mis. <laughs> I think this predates well not the book yeah I was thinking the musical but <laughs> Victor Hugo did come One first day more. yeah I forgot about the book another day I another destiny alright anyway. <laughs> let's not get into that 
anyway, let's even get the darkest it. night shall end. I, I now just have the soundtrack. Like, yep. Yeah. Good. Going through my, my head. Is- anyway, yeah. Cool Elvish. Am I? I think. And everyone's dead. It's, it's pretty much, yeah, everybody's dead. Except, of course, there are still seven sons of Fanor who are alive. Which I think is. That's bullshit. true. There are two whose names begin with C who really need to die a horrible death. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. It feels like, in a way, they're like the eye of the hurricane, where they're kind of shielded while everyone around them gets torn apart, and then they're going to have to suffer at the end. We can only hope. We can only hope, except for Madros, who I love. But but it's going to die anyway. Well, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, um, or not not be seen again. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, well, anyways. Um, <laughs> so for the next chapter of Turin Tarambar, this week's homework, I'm going to give a slight warning to some folks. If you're worried about spoilers... Just skip ahead 30 seconds. Um, so there is some incest in the next one. And I don't mean in our joking Fingen and Majros way, even though they're only half-cousins, it's fine. This is like <laughs> brother-sister awful incest. And they don't know it, if that makes it that any better. That is so much worse. No, it doesn't make it better. <laughs> So I'm just saying if that might um, disturb you, feel free to skip the next chapter. We'll talk about it. We'll do a real nice summary. I quite enjoy the misery of the next chapter, so... Well, that doesn't <laughs> go well for anybody. I like the heartache. Although, again, I scream at the characters a lot in the next chapter. Like, maybe just think about your actions. <laughs> just for a but second. they've been doomed. Yeah. Um. Anything else about the Battle of Unnumbered Tears? That sucked. Yeah. A lot. It did. I guess we can briefly mention that Morgoth piled all the bodies up of the elves. Oh, yeah, that was cool. that became, like, the one nice grassy hill in yeah in the um, the wasteland there. And Fauglin. So it's like, Fauglin. It's like a, this taunt that he takes all of their, um, like, takes all their dead weapon bodies and, and their the weapons and harnesses, and he piles them into this huge uh, hill... So that um, the Eldar and men could see it from a distance, so they could see it and and weep and be sad and know that Morgoth was supreme. And then it becomes this grassy hill that absolutely no one who follows Morgoth is willing to walk upon. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. It's fascinating in that it speaks to maybe some people or some force from Valinor not having completely abandoned them. Like, not being helpful, but also doing these little things. I don't know. I thought it was just science. I thought it was just science, too. It didn't occur to me that the Valar were watching. They're too busy being dicks. I guess it could just be science. Sure. Definitely. Um, It's it's just a nice metaphorical completion of that whole, you know, day shall come again. I like that it's in the middle of the wasteland. They have this yep. hill of, <laughs> I don't want to say hope because it's literally dead bodies, but you know what I mean. And it's it's called both the Hill of Slain and the Hill of Tears. Yep. Yes, it is. I guess one thing that we never really talked about that comes up a lot so far throughout the Silmarillion is the fact that 
the Valar and then the Noldor and then men, they look at these races as being like as though they all speak for each other because when Uldor and his gang of awful people betray um oh my god betray who Fingen I've already forgotten the names Madros 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 um well they betray everybody I guess um and side with Morgoth then we end up later talking about how the treachery of Uldor is redress, right? Rachel, you brought that up as being a good line. And it's like, but was it really? Like, can you take action, like the actions of these two totally unrelated groups of people and say that they can speak for each other? Because, I mean, they do that all through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books too. The way these different races look at each other is as though everybody, I don't know how to phrase this, as though they speak with one voice. Yeah, it is um it is a little bit odd. But I guess not not really though or like it is, but in this particular case because they don't actually ever forgive the Easterlings. You know, they for they they're cool with the Adain who Huron and Huor are a part of. And it's possible that if they hadn't done the deeds that they did, they wouldn't have even been cool with the Adain, which would speak more to your point. But, I don't know. It is very strange, because even with, like you said, with the Valar, you know, Fanor did this one bad thing, and now all elves that are not in Valinor are cut off. I feel like a lot of the conflicts could have been resolved if all of these races saw the different families and the different clans as, you know, actually being separate entities. Yeah. Yeah, everybody could learn a little bit from Omo, who's still trying to help people out. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's also a line where Morgoth is like, I was really worried about this guy because he's friends with my enemy, Omo. And I was like, Morgoth, isn't everyone your enemy? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the point? Anyway, this was a weird, very long chapter. And the next one is also going to be weird and very long, so. The next one is, is quite long, but it's also really good. And I'm... Super excited. I mean, this one was good, too, in the sense that stuff actually happened. Because, you know, I set a very low bar now. <laughs> I guess I, I'm not a fan of the battle chapters. They're not my favorite, but I'm glad something happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, chapter 21. Homework of Turin Turambar. Cursed son of Huron. He's going to have a good time. What a name. Yay. And that will be next week. So thanks for listening. Um, if you have anything you want to say about our poor recaps of battles, you can. <laughs> uh, we're on Twitter at to read Tolkien, and we have email, um, which is want to read Tolkien at gmail.com. And if you like our poor recaps of battles, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. And I think that's that. Sounds like everything to me. See you all next week. Bye. We didn't sign off, but it would be weird now, so we're just not gonna. Yep. Okay. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. Yep. I was like, never mind. I guess we're not talking. We're just, we're not, we're not us. Okay. Okay. I've been not me. I've been not Emmy. And we eventually got everyone's names right. Well, we haven't had to speak them yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves, Rachel. Well...
Yeah, it's like right at the end of the last bit other than the last paragraph. At the end of the last bit other than the last bit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly like that. Okay. There's an island paragraph and then it's right before that. 